Welcome back to another episode of People of Product. My name is George Brooks, and on today's episode, I think I think you're going to have fun on this episode. I got a chance to talk with Andrew Tarvin, and Andrew is what's called a humor engineer. Yeah, I didn't know what that was either, but after talking with Andrew, I got a chance to learn about the power of humor. And you might say, what does that have to do with product? What does that have to do with people building innovation and technology? And I would say a lot. We talked about smiling. We talked about this building trust between each other by creating a, a place that that brings joy. And I love the fact that Oftentimes, if we think about humor, we think about stand-up comedy. And to be clear, in Andrew's profile, he does stand-up comedy. They have an open mic time through their organization. Um, But he also talks about that knowing your audience, knowing your medium, knowing the purpose of your humor is a really powerful way to let humor actually engage the people that are listening to you, whether it's in a sales pitch or whether it's the people that you're working with on a day-to-day basis on your product teams. And I think you're just going to really, really get a lot out of this idea that humor can be a powerful tool, a resource for you actually to to get more effective work, to maybe even move up in your organization because people will like you more before because they'll trust you more. So you learn more about Andrew at Humor That Works. Uh, that's his organization. Then he does keynote speaking and has written on the topic as well. And I just, I think you're going to have a lot of fun as we got to explore this topic. So let's jump right in. Andrew, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm I'm excited for this conversation. I have a feeling it's going to be fun. Um, I want to throw it to you first. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got to be known for humor, and um, yeah, what led us to, to meeting today. I'm excited to hear more about you. Tell us your Absolutely. story. Absolutely. Well, I am. Uh, I'm excited to be here, uh, George. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, what I would say the most important thing to know about me is that I am a nerd. And if you are good company, good company, exactly right. Good company. And if people are wondering, well, like, well, what type of nerd? Uh, the answer is yes. Like all of them, like computer, <laughs> mass, sci-fi, Dungeons and Dragons, Star oh, Wars, you, Star you Trek, just went Starbucks. D&D. You went full all nerd. Yeah, I, I like went it. full nerd. Oh, yeah. yeah. All types of nerdery going on. And but most specifically, I would say the number one nerdery card that I have is that I am an engineer. I am obsessed with efficiency. I mean, to the point that I was born three weeks early. <laughs> right? Like I was obsessed. I don't think you have anything to do with that, but I like it. I like exactly. It. <laughs> no, I, I imagine me, you know, in the womb, just being like, "All right, we I, this is enough. Let's move the, on." The, to the roadmap next thing. can be moved up a little bit. Let's get that milestone exactly. Hit. We yeah. got this thing going out, and I and it's appropriate that I'm a nerd because I just recently found this. I didn't know this out for a long time. I didn't know my blood type. My blood type, very fittingly, is A plus. <laughs> It's like predestined that I'm going to be a nerd. And uh, that's absolutely true. But as an engineer, I uh, went to the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering. After I graduated, I started working as a uh, project manager at Procter & Gamble in IT. 
And it was in university that I started to do improv and stand up, not because I was one of those stereotypically funny people. In fact, when people from my high school found out that I started doing comedy, they're like, but you're not funny. Yeah. Like I was, yeah. I, w- I was voted. There's something my, missing here. Yeah. Yeah. My senior superlative, George, was teacher's pet. Like oh, that is not who right. you think of as that stand up comedian. And, mm-hmm. uh, but no, I got pushed into it. And one, I found that there's a lot of similarities between, say, like programming and humor, a lot of iteration, a lot of tweaking, a lot of testing, a lot of split testing and finding what worked and didn't work. And then two, what I noticed is that humor was helping me work with the hardest resource I've ever had to work with, which was other humans. Mm. And so as an engineer, I was like, oh, this thing works with people, maybe I should do more of it. So I started to explore that intersection of humor in the workplace, improv and business, happiness and productivity, started researching about it, started speaking about it, started my company, Humor That Works, part-time. And then a few years after that was like, no, I'm going to go full-time. I'm going to teach other people this same skill that I kind of like got pushed into. I'm going to introduce to other people so that we can be more effective and also have a lot more fun. We've done improv um, sessions at the, at the office. I find myself to be a pretty, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a funny guy. I'm a happy guy. And I, the humor will come out sometimes. Mm-hmm. But when, it, when in the improv moment, I'm, I'm, I freeze. Like it's a funny thing because, I mean, as a leader, as someone who does facilitation workshops and you know, has to read the room and has to really be improvisational, um, and often is trying to lighten the mood because these are hard decisions. We're making these big innovative choices. And um, yet if I'm forced to act a really, uh, what, here's what it is. Here's what it is. I, I don't like the social implications of humor. Like the, the oh, no, no, that you're viewing me in a different way. I want you to view me mm. as smart, but not mm. necessarily funny. So tell me a little bit, Tell me a little bit about your journey through that transition from being the teacher's pet, the engineer mind, the, the very analytical thinker to this creative exploration of humor and language and, um, and human beings, if you will. Absolutely. Well, I think that what's interesting about that is I think a couple of things is, first of all, mentally, we sometimes we, we feel like it's an either or right? We feel like we're either the smart person or the funny person. We are the hard worker or we're the class clown or otherwise. And the reality is the best people combine both. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you think about a lot of the really top comedians, if you think about like Dave Chappelle or Ali Wong or Eddie Izzard, like at least the comedians that I love, they're all really, really smart. Yeah. And the way that it, the way that they use that humor comes across incredibly intelligent. Like Eddie Izzard, for example, has done shows where she speaks in like three or four different languages. And it's just like, oh, that's incredible kind of like nuance and intelligence and everything that comes in. So I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, but sometimes in our head they are maybe because of pop culture from from media. I think for me, the journey was, as I mentioned, doing improvisation, I had to learn and it took a long time to learn. uh, Improv is not about being funny. Right. It's not about trying to say these punchlines. And this is true for, you know, humor that we use in the workplace as well, is that it's not necessarily about learning a bunch of punchlines. It's not necessarily about learning how to be a stand-up comedian, but it's about learning to one, be present in the moment, two, to be authentic and honest, 
right? If, we, if we're talking about authenticity in the workplace, humor absolutely has to be part of the conversation because it is such a human thing to do. And in fact, like, do you think it's a coincidence that both humor and human start with H-U-M? Hmm. The, the answer, it is actually just a coincidence. They're, they're from two different. <laughs> I, I was going to, I, the, the hmm is, I don't want to answer this wrong. So we're going right. to wait for him exactly. to Could it be? But no, but it does sound, but it is very much a human component of what we do is to have yeah. this sense of humor and to recognize it. So for me, my journey with it was this just realization that going back to the engineering piece was, it was like, oh, this is, this is helping me. And, and one of the ways that it actually started was I remember being in this meeting at PNG that was so boring, <laughs> right? And it was like one of those, like, you want to cry levels of boring meetings. Have you ever been, been in there. one of I've those? I've been there. Oh yeah. Right? We've all been there. You start brainstorming all the things you wish you could be doing instead of being in that meeting. You're like, I wish, I, you know, what? I, I would rather be folding laundry right now. That's where I'm where I'm at with hey, this I like to fold laundry. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are like super. You've been in a lot of boring meetings. If like yeah, that's your your idea of excitement. Now the problem with this particular meeting was that I was the one leading the meeting. Oh no. Yeah, and so if it's like if I'm bored while talking, the audience has to be bored while listening. And I was talking to a good friend of mine about it. And, uh, I was like, it was one of those moments of like, I think a lot of, uh, young professionals have it, those fresh out of school people where you're like, oh no, is this the rest of my life, right? Is the rest of my career, these boring meetings followed by terrible emails, followed by replying all to messages, followed by more boring meetings. And, uh, so I was worried about that. And my friend was like, wait, Drew, you, you love to solve problems which is true, right? As the engineer, I do Sudoku for fun. I love Ken Ken. I'm doing crossword puzzles. I don't think of them as math problems, but rather math opportunities. Like I, I get excited when the check comes because I'm like, yes, I get to calculate 18% or 20. I, I calculate 18% because the math is more fun than 20%. So my apologies to servers out there. The math is just more fun that way. Uh, so I love solving problems. And my friend was like, well, why not just solve the problem of boredom? And I thought that was a really interesting perspective. And this person happened to be the same one that pushed me into improv in university. And so I was like, why not use what we used at, at school? And so yeah. that's where I started to say, okay, can I bring in some of that improv? Can I teach improv exercises to my team members? Or can I tell stories a little bit more? Or can I uh, add a little bit of a game element to the work that I did? And as I started to do that, as I found intentional ways for me to make my own work more fun... I saw that it resonated with other people. People were more likely to come to my meetings. They're more likely to respond to my emails. I think it's a big reason why I started to get promoted in the organization was not only was I, I still needed to do the smart stuff, right? Yeah. I still needed Nothing to do less the work than that. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just I, the how I did my work. So humor in the workplace isn't what you do, but it's how you do your work. And because it became more fun, people were like, well, yeah, I'd rather be in a meeting with that person than this person because it's going to be more enjoyable. It's interesting. We... You know, one of the, the challenges of the digital product agency, that's what we are. We are constantly trying to iterate on how to create the unique value prop of what Crema is. When we first got started, I slapped the, the letters U and X at the beginning of a design agency. And all of a sudden, UX design agency sounded cool. It, it, it was just designing screens like that. We didn't, nobody knew what UX was. And so that seemed different. And of course, that's no longer relevant. Like that's not important. Everybody has a UX in front of their title in some respect. 
And, and there's more digital product studios, there's more competition. And that's a good thing, right? People are, we have seen the light and they know that there's this really great opportunity to create something cool like this. But what we keep coming back to is like why people choose Crema is in some respects what you're talking about, which is at the end of the day, they like working with us. And it, it's a simple thing that loyalty and retention and uh, uh, contract growth comes from the, the relationships that we've built because people enjoyed the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how much of, I love that you said that literally you think you got promoted because of your humor. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that though? Because there's, there's the, I'm going to say it, the, the quote unquote funny guy in the room, mm-hmm. right? And that person can be distracting mm-hmm. or that person can be engaging. Where do you see that balance taking place where, where humor is in its sweet spot? Yeah. Well, the, I wish as an engineer, I wish I could say you like it's, it's at 11.3% of the time. If you <laughs> yeah. use humor 11.3% of the time, that's the golden ratio of it. Like uh-huh. I wish there was an answer that way. And there's, there's not to very quickly touch upon what you just mentioned though, is, is you're absolutely right. Like research has shown, and this is what I really get geeked about is that it wasn't just me seeing these benefits. There's a ton of research that's been done and obviously more coming out each day, but in places like Harvard Business Review out at Stanford, all these kind of places mm-hmm. that respectable research institutions that they've seen things like people who use humor are given more opportunities. And it makes sense. Like as an engineer, I'm, I'm a big fan of simplification. And one way to simplify it is like, okay, if you had two pretty equally equally kind of qualified candidates or potential agencies that you're going to work with, and one of them does a good job, but they're about as entertaining to talk with as a brick wall. And the other person kind of makes you laugh or smile, or when you're in meetings with them, that person is generally hot, happy and positive and you feel good after you meet with them. It's like, which one are you going to go with? That's right. Oh yeah. The one that I had more fun with. So it's kind of an e- like when you break it down in simple terms, like, oh yeah, of course that kind of makes sense. So how do you do that in a way that doesn't go too far? That isn't too, like, isn't trying too hard. Isn't like constantly making everything a joke. And there's obviously a balance for every kind of individual person, but I think a big part of it starts with the intention Mm -hmm. with the intention being, because you don't want to be Michael Scott who had the intention of like using humor because he just desperately wanted people to like him. He just wanted people to like be a fan of what he was. And it was like a way too, way too much. So the way that we train that to make that a little bit more tangible, what I mean by intention is that we talk about having a understanding your medium, your audience, and your purpose for whatever type of humor that you want to use. So medium being, how are you going to execute that humor? Is it in an email? Is it in a phone call? Is it in a virtual meeting? Is it on a podcast? Is it in your own head? Because it's for yourself. Who is the audience? And what does that audience need? And what does that audience expect? So can you deliver on what they need in a way that they don't quite expect, because that's part of humor is doing something in, in an unexpected way, in a positive, mm-hmm. unexpected mm-hmm. way. And so if you yeah. deliver on still what they need, but use it unexpectedly, that's positive humor versus like, wait, I didn't actually need that thing. You just went on a 15 minute long story that had no relation to what we're talking about today. I didn't need that story. Right. So it's still kind of delivering on that need piece. And then also the audience component is understanding your relationship with them. The humor that you and I use the first time we meet is going to be very different than if we've had a number of meetings together now. And you start to get a sense of like, is this someone that is very serious and wants to get to things pretty quickly? Or is this someone that would much rather spend, you know, the first 15 minutes of a meeting talking about how your weekend was? Right. You're going to adapt that humor to the message, just like any leader or any good communicator would do 
The same is true around humor. And then the last one, the most important one is your purpose. Why do you actually want to use humor? Because using humor just for the sake of humor is fine, but that's where you start to go into that potential like jester territory Mm -hmm. versus being like, oh, I want to use humor at the beginning of this presentation because it's the first time I'm talking with this client and I want to get them to lean in, recognize that it's going to have a lot of fun and that it's not going to be a boring experience. Well, that's different humor than what you're going to use if you're like, I've been talking with this particular client over and over and over again, and now I need to explain to them why they need to take this particular decision, despite it being in the face of what they think that they need to do. That's going to be a little bit of a different humor versus yeah. the humor that you're going to use for yourself because you're stressed out and overworked and the work and the like work-life balance now feels like work-life survival, et cetera, all those challenges, that humor is going to be different. And so those three components, medium audience purpose is a great way to have more of that intentionality for using appropriate humor at work. I think it's a fantastic model that in medium audience and purpose is, I mean, it's kind of similar to the way that we would think about product, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, where we're thinking about what are the tools, the resources that we're working within um, the context of building this solution? Uh, who's it for? Who's the user? And why do, Why should this thing exist in the world? Um, so I, I think that that will resonate definitely with with our audience. The it makes me think. I was talking to um, uh, an individual that was a speak a speaking coach, um, and I was working on a speech, and the speech was really tied to this emotional story that I had about the origin story of Crema, which is as primarily about a sad story, or it starts out sad because it was really about my daughter being sick for a long time. Now the happy ending of that is she's now 14 years old and she's awesome, but it was an emotional, like I was pulling on this, like, um, uh, heavy emotion. And I, I kind of presented this idea, um, for the speech to this, this individual. And he said, I've seen it work twice. I've seen it work twice ever that somebody had a really emotional speech that was heavy and that the audience left inspired. Oftentimes, and he goes, and here's the other thing, they were both really famous people. And so people kind of cared that like a famous person had a hard thing in their life. Mm -hmm. And he said, almost everybody else has to use humor to actually engage the audience. They need to lift that spirit. They need to get people engaged. They need to actually um, pull them up rather than kind of taking them into this base, like emotional place where they can't think about anything else. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you think is kind of pulling people into a different mindset that humor actually pulls them up out of that kind of base of the brain place to more of a, um, I can actually think in a different plane, if you will. Well, I think it's absolutely one of the things that humor can do. And what I would say is, is maybe I would, it, obviously the context is completely different and don't know a lot of the details, but I don't think that it has to be an either or. Okay. So in okay. a lot of the work that we do, like some of the clients that we have is we've worked with the FBI, with the United Nations, with the Red Cross, like some of these groups that are like very serious organizations, yeah, that's, that's real. emergency first responders, things like that. And people are like, wait, that's a weird, ju- I thought that that's like somber and serious over here. And then humor is here. And it's like, well, no, like the, the work that we've done the, uh, with the Red Cross, the gentleman there kind of articulated to us, he was like, when I'm talking about disaster preparedness, if I'm giving a presentation to a group about what to do if a tornado comes and they're not paying attention, he's like, yeah. in the presentations that I do, boredom has very serious consequences. Oh, interesting. If they aren't paying attention because I'm boring of how I'm talking about it, then when a tornado comes, they're not going to remember what to do because they weren't listening in the first place. 
And we believe if your message is important, then you would use all of the tools at your disposal out there to communicate that message of which humor is one, but mm. not the only one. Because what's interesting about at least like if you look at a lot of the research of what makes for just because you talk about this in the context of a speech, what yep. makes for an effective presentation is not just emotion, but emotional change, the delta change in emotion. So if you look at, you know, Martin Luther's I, I have a dream speech, it's I have a dream of what could be and the way that it is, what could be the way that it is. This is Nancy Duarte and some of her yep. work with yep. Resonate is like that big change. So what humor allows you to do and what I would say is in a high level thing, when we're doing some coaching, what I'll encourage people is to start with humor. Absolutely get people leaning in with a little bit of laughter of setting the stage. And then you can go a little bit more somber, but then you just got to make sure that you bring people out of it again. So I would agree that you do want to leave people on a positive note, but it doesn't mean that you can't take them to a more, you know, kind of somber one at different points. And that Delta change of emotion is going to be more impactful than if you were just funny the entire time. Right. And if you were just somber the entire time. So and good. So, yeah. And that's one of the things that I think is really helpful for, especially mm -hmm. the groups out there that are like, hey, the thing that we talk about is really serious, the really important. That's what we've done with groups with the, the, the UN is what's beautiful about something like an association. So that's what I would encourage probably in this case of what you have to explain is pretty serious is to create an association. Uh, in fact, we were doing some coaching recently with someone who was talking about suicide prevention within teens, which is obviously a very, you know, yeah, very kind serious, of serious yeah. topic. Yeah. And so it's like, you don't want to poke fun at suicide, right? Within teenagers, you don't want to make kind of jokes yeah. about that. But if you create a metaphor and she was like, we already use this metaphor about a bus. Like some people would just want to get off the bus. So now if you want, as you're setting up this metaphor, you could use a little bit of humor about the bus. You could use a story about a bus. You could use like, you could use humor about this thing over here, get the audience laughing and then be, well, actually it's a lot like blank. And mm. the blank is serious, suicide prevention or whatever it is you're filling in the gap. You're still serious here, but you've already brought in the humor. And the fact that you're now using association is another form of humor as well. And so to, to kind of answer your question, I would say that it doesn't have to be either or. Humor doesn't mean that we're not serious about a particular topic. And we can use humor. This is going back to that intentionality to say, let me use humor as a way to leave people in that positive mindset, to leave people with this idea of focus, of hope. And that's a lot of times what sales is really good at, right? Yeah. Within sales, it is, hey, let me get to know who you are. Let me push on those pain points a little bit. What's it going to cost you if you don't do blank? If you have an organization where your employees aren't completely engaged, what does that cost you in productivity? Or if you have a frontline group of salespeople who don't fully believe in the product, what does that cost you in sales? Or if you have a team that's completely burned out, not bringing their full self to work, what does that, right? So you're pressing on these pain points a little bit, and then you want to bring in some positivity and some humor. A lot of times that's going to be your solution in sales. Well, hey, what we can bring is this. And then you bring that with a little bit of humor. So they're also leaving with having felt good about it, right? That's a, the peak end principle, right? People are going to remember the peak of the experience and the, the end of the experience. So for your talk, if you talk a little bit about that somber moment, they might remember that because it's a peak emotional state. Yeah. But then if you leave the program with humor, they'll be like, man, that was deep. But I remember laughing at that. Even if it was yeah. mostly towards the end, it's like, I remember laughing at that because it was the last thing that happened. And that's, that's true, whether it's a speech or a presentation or even kind of like a ad copy on a website, you can do all of those things and have that same kind of impact. Who are the, who are the individuals that you think are most surprised by this idea of humor? 
the, the, you know, when you're, when you're brought in or they're like, okay, who's, who's coming to, to talk to us about this. And they're like, really, we're going to talk about humor. Who's the one that like, you love turning that conversation around. You love seeing them walk out going, all right, I I'm here. I'm, I get it. Um, what's, what's a good story or maybe just a, a profile or persona of a per, that type of role that you like to see turn around? Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly I love the people who are already bought in. I love the appreciators of it just because they laugh at most of the jokes and like all the, they're the people that when you're a presenter, even in virtual, like if you have the virtual screens on, there's certain faces that as speakers, you kind of like, you just learn to check in, in with yeah. a lot uh-huh. of like, okay, if I'm not feeling, if I like, if I want to see how a joke is gone, I'm going to go to this person because they're quick or easy to laugh. So yep. I certainly love having those in the audience. Of course, of course. But uh, I do really like the the skeptics. And so one of my favorites, uh, one of my favorite events that I've done is I did an event for uh, the International Association of Canine Professionals, which is just amazing as an organization. Because I got yeah. the kind of inquiry about it. And I was like, is this an association for dogs who have jobs? <laughs> right? Is this like, That's is so Air Bud going to be here? Is that what happened? Like, I don't know. Uh, but it was it was for dog trainers. And so I do this event, it's for about 200 people, 20 dogs. Um, so 200 humans, 20 dogs in the audience. It was amazing. Love and it. afterwards, this guy came up and he was massive. His biceps were bigger than my head, like massive. Per- he, was a, he was an MMA fighter before MMA was a real thing. Like he was a professional fighter, but before wow. there was ever like actual, like a program for it, it was just like, I fought people for money. Um, and he was we don't person, ask. We don't, yeah, ask. don't ask, don't ask about it. Uh, and he was someone who now took dogs from dog fighting rings that they would find and break oh, up man. and then rehabilitate them yeah. back. So obviously clearly something really important, but also just kind of the stature of this person. And, um, he came up to me and he was like, listen, I'll, I'll admit when I saw this on the agenda, I thought this was going to be BS and he didn't say BS. Um, yeah. he said the whole thing, but he's like, I thought this was going to be BS. And he's like, I just want to let you know not BS at all, really appreciated the talk. Love and it. like, that's the type of feedback that I love. The people who are like, this is stupid or this is dumb or the fellow yeah. engineers out there that are like, what, why am I going to waste time on this? And then they start to see like, oh no, this is about me getting better results. This is about me having uh, a better improvement. And the, the last kind of profile that I would say, kind of a direct extension of that is I enjoy introducing humor to people who don't think of themselves as funny. Because I was never someone who was like raised my hand and was like, oh, I watch shoes on is anyway. I could totally do that. I'm gonna like I was pushed into comedy by my friend. And so for that same thing, if I like introducing humor to people, like I never really thought of myself as like this class clown person or telling jokes, but oh, I think I could do this in this way. And to give people the gift of helping other people laugh, like the the changes it made for me in terms of confidence and kind of um. Uh, feeling comfortable with myself and willingness to try new things and the ability to take risk and like all the personal benefits for me learning this skill have been tremendous. So when I can introduce that to other people, that is, that's a huge win for me. How much, I guess I'll, I'll tie it to a story. So we, we, um, the way that we structure our teams is we work in cross-functional teams. So uh, project manager or product manager, designer, uh, developers and test engineers working pretty closely together on um, whatever that client's uh, purpose is, right? That 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 cause. And one of the things we talk about is that when you're working so closely with a the team, there has to be trust, or the team won't be effective. And um, and what we sometimes say, and we don't use the word humor, but we just say like, hey, don't forget to smile. 
Like, don't forget that smiling is an incredibly powerful, like visual reminder that you can trust me. And, um, we had, we, it's funny what makes people smile because everybody's different. And we, we would find that actually a lot of the smiles would happen through like, I don't know if you're familiar with Slack, but it's like a, a chat platform, right? And it would happen through the way that people were using Giphy's or the way that people were using emoji responses to the point where we were nerdy enough. I'm with you in the nerd camp that we built a scoring system for how to quantify the value of emoji responses. So if somebody said something funny enough that they would get all these different emojis and I could say, well, a thumbs up is worth 10 points or a, you know, a thumbs down is worth negative 10 points. So we had a leaderboard. And then we put this thing out in side note. We put that actually that app integration out into the world and like NFL was using it and PBS was using it, like all these massive companies we made no money on it, but they were all using it. Mm -hmm. And um, what we found though, is that it was these, these cultural things mm -hmm where it was allowing a person to be funny. And oftentimes it was like the most quiet engineer mm -hmm. um, that would just post this like one-liner. And you're just like, that was out of Amazing. Paul, out of yeah. Paul. I had no idea. And uh, just these like little gems of moments. Um, and I think the best one was we had an individual leaving Crema and, and Crema has a very low turnover. So people don't leave very often. And this um, one of our developers, Derek, he, we were all standing in a circle and this is pre COVID when we could all be in, in person and we kind of throw a party for the person when they leave. And, and Derek just got up and Derek's not a public speaker, really super quiet guy. And he just, he just stood there and he's like blood in blood out. And he kind of like, he had this like gangster look and it was like, everybody just kind of froze. Cause it was like, is he going to like, is he flipping a lid? And then, and he was just like, love you, bro. It's you know, just like he like hugged the guy. It was totally out of character, but it was so funny. It just brought this little mm -hmm. moment of humor that it released the tension of this, you know, this, per, this member, this fam of our family of our team leaving and how powerful that was. Um, how much do you see teams building trust around humor? Well, I think it's a, it's an, it's a fantastic way to build humor. It's also a fantastic measure of how much trust is in a team. Oh, right. It can kind of go yeah. a little bit both ways. So yeah. uh, there's a couple of things about what you shared that I absolutely love. First, that recognizing that when we're talking about humor, particularly in the workplace, it is more broad than comedy. Because when we think about humor, a lot of times we're thinking like, wait, does this mean I have to become a stand-up? Are you going to tell me how to be like Jerry Seinfeld? Is that what's like? Like, no, simply smiling a little bit more is part yeah. of it. So we're talking about a broader definition of humor where it could lead to a smile. Or yeah. as Victor Borg said, the shortest distance between two people is a smile. So I love that as an example of like recognizing that. And that it reminded me of there, there's a cliche within the speaking industry. If you ever spoken to an audience that is relatively kind of like stern, uh -huh. and sometimes it'll happen where it's like a relatively quiet audience. And then afterwards, people will come up and be like, oh, my God, I absolutely love that. And you're like, oh, well, then tell your face. Oh. Not your face, like when you're listening of like, because that's how we get that feedback resting, that social media. Yeah. Resting X face, whatever, whatever syllable exactly. you want to put in the middle there. Yeah, yeah we, we've done some one-on-one -on -one coaching, particularly with some people from the UK, what they've called resting British face, where it's just like, <laughs> I'm not upset. This is just how I always look. And it's like, well, just so you know, this is a feedback that's going to come. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you have to force a smile on your face. But if you are someone who general demeanor looks a little bit negative, you can have a little bit of authenticity about that and be like, listen, 
I know that I look like I'm terribly upset. This is my happy face right now. So let's just get like, so you can kind of address that with a little yeah. bit of, of yeah. humor. The other thing is I love the emoji score, uh, which is fantastic. I, I definitely need that for my, uh, I'll send it my to Zoom yeah. meetings or other <laughs> things because I want to know. I, I love the data of like, okay, how did, how did that actually land? But to, to, to answer your question around trust is, you know, if you look at, at, at um, psychologists, they've kind of identified, you know, different ways that we build trust. One of the most popular ways or most common ways is through shared experiences. Mm -hmm. And so negative shared experiences can help us bring us clo closer together. Like if you, if you complete a deadline together and it's been a little bit stressful or all that kind of stuff, you come closer together. If you overcome, like as organizations have adapted to the pandemic and, and come out of it, it's like it's brought some teams a little bit closer together. So we already have plenty of negative experiences in the workplace just by sheer virtue of, of, of stress. Yeah. Humor can be a positive shared experience. When you share laughter together, you're saying that you stand on the same side, right? The fact, if you're able to make me laugh, it, it, it consciously or subconsciously in my head, I'm like, oh, George gets me a little bit. They understand me, the fact that we've kind of had this shared kind of mutual positivity together. So it absolutely can help us to build trust. The other thing that is interesting, as I mentioned about it, is it can, it can also be a signal of the trust within your organization. And you know, I'm an engineer. So it's like, okay, if there's all these benefits to using humor, why don't more people do it? Why did I never learn about this in school? Why is it not something that seems to be super common that we talk about? And so I like, I sent out a survey and we, we surveyed over a thousand people to say, okay, why don't you use humor in the workplace more? And the number one reason why they didn't is because they didn't think that their boss or coworkers would approve. Interesting. Which means if you are in an organization where you aren't seeing laughter among your teams, where you're not seeing that smiling or that camaraderie, then you're probably part of the reason why. Interesting. Not, not like intentionally, not maliciously, but if you yourself as a leader aren't using humor, then people may not know that it's welcome. If someone attempts to use humor, even if it's not the greatest humor in the world, but you either shut them down or don't react at all, then people aren't going to be welcome to using humor. If you're not talking at all about, hey, at least smile a little bit more, bringing it up as a way, like a positive thing in the workplace, then people aren't necessarily going to feel the, the, that they're comfortable able to. And so what I would encourage is that you can use this as a little bit of a barometer and find yeah. ways to say, okay, how can we intentionally bring a little bit more laughter because the trust is going to come with it? Oh man, that is so good. I think I can even think back to, you know, clients that we've worked with when it either was or wasn't modeled inside their organization and how all of a sudden the teams that were working with us and we tend to model it a bit more that there's, there is a sense of camaraderie and trust and, and just joy in the day. Mm -hmm. And, um, and <laughs> the biggest issue we actually dealt with for a while, and we've had to kind of pivot how we approach certain things is how many of our clients or a point of contact that our clients would be like, Hey, I know that we don't allow this, but um, are you accepting applications? <laughs> it's like, no, 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 stay there because we need you to stay our client. That's how we yeah. make money. Um, but yeah, I think that's that is absolutely true. And you can measure, you can measure even when things are not going well, if people are willing to still have a a, a lighthearted moment, there's still trust. It's mm -hmm. when it's when it goes quiet that you have to get concerned. Um, uh, wrapping up here real quick, what, what's one thing that you think people get wrong as they enter this, this idea of humor, or maybe they try to enter this space of humor? 
Great question. I think the biggest, so there's two, two that immediately come to mind. One is a very tactical thing for people first starting to use humor. The number one, I think, mistake that people make when they're starting to use, and, and this is probably a little bit more on the speaking side. So we sometimes do presenter coaching sure. and all that kind of stuff. The biggest thing is that people step on their laughter. And what I mean by that is that humor takes a little bit of time for people to get. So you might say something humorous, but then people get nervous. They don't want to like sit in a pause. And so they start speaking right away after they've used a little bit of that humor. But in the listener's brain, they've got to hear the words. They've then got to process why it's funny. Then they've got to laugh. And if you're doing that virtually, then there's a delay in all that happening. And so people immediately start talking again. And just as a person was getting ready to laugh, you start talking, then they're going to suppress that laughter because of what they, they want to hear what you say next. And so one of the biggest mistakes, people, is they don't pause long enough after the humor and hold that moment enough so that that laughter comes and then builds. Because also sometimes some people are going to get it very quickly, but other people laughing then triggers other people laughing. Oh, like, oh, that was funny. That was a good thing. So stepping on the laughter from a pure performance standpoint, I think, is one of the biggest mistakes people make. I think the bigger mistake in general when it comes to this topic is that people think that they have to become a comedian. Mm -hmm. And the way that that comes out is they either are too intimidated to even try, or they're like, I totally saw George Carlin in a YouTube video yesterday, aggressively use all the seven words that you can't say on TV. So if I'm going to be funny in the workplace, I better bring a lot of like sex jokes or something. And it's like, no, not the, the place. Humans, exactly. <laughs> not the place at all. And the goal isn't to become a stand-up comedian is to be more effective. And so recognize yeah. that, yes, the stakes are higher using humor in the workplace in terms of like, if you do it inappropriately, and there is a distinction between poorly and inappropriately, because I don't know anyone who's ever been fired because of a bad joke. Mm. Like a bad joke is a bad pun or just something that doesn't land. Yep. I do know people have been fired because of an inappropriate joke. Yeah, of course. And so subject matter absolutely has an That's impact. knowing your audience. Yeah. That is knowing your audience and knowing the, the right context, knowing the medium for what's, what's appropriate. Uh, the other thing I think is, is part of that is then recognizing that, yes, while the stakes are higher, the bar is so much lower. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Thank if you God. think about yeah. how bad so much, how many, how bad terrible meetings are just by simply starting with the story, how that might transform things. Or for me, when I first started out, I just started to include pictures of myself in my presentations. And it was only one picture of myself. I wanted to be kind of like uh, Stan Lee in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where he makes a cameo in each of, of the early movies. I was like, yes. can I make a cameo in my own presentation? And it became a small thing that then my team members started to look for. It was like, how are you going to shoehorn a picture of you in this, this presentation about Ooh, bar graphs watch. or whatever? Just, just watch. watch me. Just watch <laughs> me do it. So recognizing that the bar is lower. So changing your perception of what you mean by humor in the workplace is a great starting point for a lot of people. And another great starting point is what we encourage people to do is to try to drive one smile per hour. So mm, in the sense of like, not necessarily just smiling point. once an hour, but that can be part of it. But do one, th one thing each hour of the day that brings a smile to your face or the face of someone else. And you'll start to notice how simple it can be. It's like, okay, if I'm getting ready to go into a virtual meeting, can I you know, take visual notes if I have to do note-taking? Or if I'm getting ready to go through emails, can I read those emails in an accent in my head just to make them a little bit more fun? If I'm getting ready to go on a, a trip and I'm gonna be stuck in traffic, can I listen to a comedy podcast? Like one small thing that you can do each hour of the day, you start to develop a humor habit. You start to notice how easy it is to incorporate it in your work and you start to be more likable, I think, by other people and gain some of the benefits that we've talked about before. I mean, I'm a habit nerd. So I love that you brought you brought it in at the end, this kind of like building disciplines, building habits. 
and a humor habit is one I think worth doing. I love that. And I, I have to tell a story. We're in the, the middle of, um, we're doing our, um, all our quarterly update for our team. So our team's about 50 people. And um, this time, instead of doing like a big lunch and learn or something like this, we're going to do just a, uh, an edited video. And each of the leadership is going to touch on their pieces. And my business partner, talking about those pauses, he, at the right at the beginning of his point, or his, his piece, he's joking around about something and then he just pauses and he just holds it for a long time. And his joke wasn't that funny. And he, he's going to listen to this and be like, dude, it was funny. Um, but the pause was funny because you're expecting, cause he's giving a financial update, right? Mm -hmm. They're expecting him to just start spinning off percentages and numbers and where we're at as a company and everything else. And yet he's going to sit there and just kind of hold a pose for like 15, 20 seconds. I mean, like a long time <laughs> enough. So that when the leader, when he shared out his clip, the leadership channel in Slack was just like, Oh, the pause, the pause mm -hmm. was just so good. And it just was that simple thing. It was just like giving it that space, giving it that time to sit, which is um, really good. Which is, and it's such a great example too of like one that's the confidence of delivering that's part of what you learn within the skill of humor is how to deliver confidently and to yeah. own it and especially with something where it's like especially a video pausing is so powerful within videos or within speaking because especially in a virtual environment people oftentimes will like alt tab away and they'll yep. go into their emails or other things a pause just leaving it there people are like wait, is it still on? Is it still working? Like, I, I better check into it. And then you just yeah. see, you see him just like standing there holding it and you're like, okay, I'm going to see what he says next. Yeah. And that's what humor does is it like, it, it makes people want to listen to kind of what you're saying. So I, that's a fantastic example of its use. Andrew, I, I, I think we could nerd out on this even further, but um, this has been really, really interesting. And it's honestly, it's not a topic I expected to be on the podcast. I think that I like when I'm surprised by something that can be extremely useful for teams, for individuals, for leaders, um, and being more effective at saying, I mean, one of the things that I think a lot about is that we're in the, the business of people, we just happen to make apps, right? Mm -hmm. And the question then is, is how, how can we do the best work of our lives and how can we do this work really well together? And what you're talking about is actually bringing people closer together because humor, for the most part, although you can have a humor, humorous moment. And I guess, like you said, reading your email in an accent or something for the most part is an interaction between people. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're talking about doing is, is interacting with other human beings to create something in the world. And gosh, I just wish we could have more fun doing it. Right. Right. Um, and, when, and what a great gift it is to, this is, I think what I got addicted to, to humor was like, it's such a great gift to give to other people, the gift of joy which is yeah. what you are giving with you when you give that moment of laughter. And, and that's why all of my humor is, is positive and inclusive. It's all rated mom. Cause like, I want my mom to be proud of the things <laughs> yeah, that right. I see and all that, yeah. which I recognize I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Like for people that like, if I'm going to watch it, you know, a weekend stand up show, maybe it's going to be something different, but it, it works very well in the workplace. So it, it, it's a great mission. I think that you all are on. And I think humor is absolutely such a compelling way to, to deliver on some of those elements. Love it. Love it. Okay, Andrew, where can people find you, learn more about you or possibly work with you? 
Certainly. Well, if they want to learn more about uh, humor in the workplace, you can go to humorthatworks.com. We've got a bunch of free resources there, blog posts. There's information about our book that came out, uh, details about some of the one-on-one work that we do, like we talked about with presentation coaching, as well as we do a lot of workshops for individual groups, whether that's sales teams or entire organizations, stress management, et cetera. All that information is on the website. If uh, people want to connect with me directly, I am at Drew Tarvin, so D-R-E-W, T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N on all social media. Uh, so LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. And I don't know if you know this, George, but MySpace is still around and uh-uh. I still have a MySpace account. So if you're really like, if you're really into MySpace, you can send me a message on MySpace as well at Drew Tarvin. I I mean, that's where you and I are going to hang out now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll have to recreate an account. Um, you're going to come to my page and it's going to autoplay some Britney Spears music or something. I don't remember exactly what was going on with MySpace. I'm so excited. I'll be there. Drew, thank you so much for doing this with me. And I really appreciate you taking time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.